With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the real group right here. Right. Yeah. This is the inner ring. Let's create a secret password now so no one knows it when they come back. Right, uh, secret handshakes and stuff. Oh, like Brooklyn Nine. Anyone watch Brooklyn Nine Nine? No Brooklyn Nine Nine fans. Old creates all the handshakes with everyone. Oh. All right. Well, I guess we'll get started then. I'm gonna lean heavily on Cody tonight, so. <laughs> Just wanted to see your face. Um, well, what are your second impressions of Chesterton and Everlasting Man? So we, we get, get a chance to read them for a, a week and then go back and then read them for another week. What are, what are, what are we feeling this week about it? Feelings change. We're still, still on the train. Still going slow. Still going slow. It's good, but it, I have to go back and reread the bunch just to make sure I'm following what he's saying. Just why I'm slow in chapter one. It's okay, because if you can get what he's saying, it's mm -hmm. worth it's worth taking the time. I think that that's my feeling. It's slow. It's heavy. There are very few things that I I listen to while I'm working. There's very few things that I have to stop listening to and go to something else. I listen to it for an hour and I'm like, yeah, I think I need to listen to something else for an hour. This is, this is like a lot. Um, he's so, he exhausts a subject. Like there's, there's no, I guess you say he gives no, he gives no quarter to anyone. And it's just complete. This is my thought, and then just I'm going to take out every possibility uh, how you guys are going to get around this, and it's it's a he is so deep. I'm sorry, who thinks on that level of everything, philosophy, psychology, politics, um, everything? He's just like he drills down so well and so deep. Um, <clears throat> you can see why Lewis was was attached to him, why he loved it so much. And I think about these guys that, if we forget these guys, it's to our own detriment. I mean, we literally could be standing on the shoulders of this. They, they've worked a lot of the stuff out, the issues, they've already worked it out. That's what I, I've said about uh, Mere Christianity. <coughs> I, I read Miracles for the first time and said, oh, naturalism's done. Let's, let's go beyond it. We, we, Lewis has already taken care of that. Let me get his... Let me understand what he's saying here, and then I can build from that. I don't have to recreate the arguments. He's done it. There's a lot of stuff Chesterton's already taken care of. 
He's there, and so just master master the argument, wrestle with his stuff, and then that was going to save you about three decades of, of thinking, because that's what it took him to get there, is about three or four decades of thinking, and he's pulling things apart and delivering things to us. So um, these guys are necessary, and it's good to go slow. It's good to be in that vein where you're just taking bites off, taking bites off, taking bites off. Um, if you don't get through it all, that's fine. That's really fine. For, for some of you guys, you may even want to do some what we call academic reading. Have you ever heard the term academic reading? Academic reading is you read the first paragraph and the last paragraph of the chapter, and that's it. So when, when professors are like, oh, I've read this book, what they mean is they've read the introduction, they've read the first paragraph and the last paragraph of the chapters that they that are important to them or their thesis, and that's what they've read. Yeah, so because they, they say there's not enough time for me to read all these books in depth. So you're, this is why they actually have the academic reading so boring, the writing is so boring, and they have you repeat yourself often. So like, what are you gonna tell me? Tell me and then tell me what you told me. They do that for a reason because academics only read the first and last paragraph, and so what are you saying? Did you, oh, okay, good, we're gonna move on. Um, and so, but you do miss the good meat. There's good quotes in there. There's good stuff that you miss in the meat. But I mean, this this is a, a tour de force of, of reading. And so, unless we want to spend the next year and a half on, on everlasting man, we 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 may have to push a little bit. So, um, We'll try to keep it sequential, so uh, Miriam, anything in this first chapter that, that we didn't go over last time that you want to jump at, that you want to hit? <clears throat> no, although it did help having the discussion last week and then uh, getting into some more of it, and it's like, oh, yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's see, where... I, I just had one thought, well, not more than that, but... One, one thing I wanted to pull out that I didn't last time was he's talking about <clears throat> how people are really not on debatable ground and they're doubtful even in their very doubts. Mm -hmm. Their criticism is taken on a curious tone as of random and illiterate heckling. And I jotted down, just imagine Chesterton on like the, the view. Right. And like the fact one of the things that I, I get, I get like really discouraged sometimes, you know, when I'm reading something like this, because I go, I just look at it and I go, look how far we've fallen, you know, just as a, from a cultural, just an intellectual, cultural standpoint, and it is just heckling, we've really just sunk to heckling. You know, in in our culture, in lots of ways, in the popular media and all that, and I also kind of jotted down like, how do you, what do we do? How do you like engage the TikTok, <coughs> the TikTok mentality and the jackass mentality and and mm. like it, like you say, he's he's already done this work that like thirty years of work, but the. <coughs> you were to use Tolkien-esque terms or 
divine terms, you could say the enemy has eroded eroded so much thought, just the structures of thought, that even though we have this good stuff, it's almost like make, making it almost unusable. <clears throat> because the thoughts, it's like you can't even really beat somebody over the head with this. They're just not interested. <clears throat> That's just my pessimistic take on it. Yeah. And I think you're you're right. I think your I think your diagnosis is correct. And so, one solution is we dumb everything down and just spoon feed everybody, which we found out that hasn't worked. The second one is, um, I taught high school juniors and seniors mere Christianity. I taught it for a year. And I'm being honest with you. The first couple months. Their eyes were glazed over. They were just sitting there listening to me, and I was just beating my gums for an hour. And then the most curious thing happened. I saw somebody's eyes do this. Spark hit. And another spark. And then another spark. And then suddenly, with the, after the spark started happening, about a month later, there was full applause as we tore apart an argument and we explained the argument from desire and the place erupted in applause. Cool. If you can get them to taste truth, they will become insatiable. But it may take presenting it several times. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of what I do on a bachelor resolute is, is I push back. I do that pushback, says who? And these little things right because it frustrates people, this little, that little earworm. Um, why should I believe you? It's like, oh man, I'm gonna prove this guy. And then suddenly what happens is, they start searching for truth and then they start finding a little bit of it. And they start realizing, oh, I can decide for truth for myself. Have you guys ever read, uh, um, shoot, it's, it's a chapter of Pilgrim's Regress. It's the parrot. Uh, the parrot and something. Um, John is in, he's trapped in the spirit of the age. And the jailer comes to him and uh, is feeding them eggs. And he says, well, these eggs are delicious. And the guy says, what do you mean delicious? An egg or the minstrum of a chicken, they're the exact same thing. Because there's no difference. And he says, you look at that milk. That milk, it's, it's a secretion from a cow. Milk and urine are exactly the same thing. And John jumps up and says, you're a liar. You've taken what nature has is, 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 is given us for nutrients and nourishment, and what it's given us for refuse, and you've made them equivalent, and they're not. And um, he's able to overcome the spirit of the age. But the people inside don't necessarily come out because they have their rhetoric they have to say. They have their... They have their catechism, their spirit of the age catechism. <clears throat> but reason came riding on a white horse and, and killed the spirit of the age. You have to expose them to reason. You have to show them that they can figure out this themselves. You have to, you have to teach them how to run <clears throat> Sherlock Holmes. You have to show them, hey, watch this. This is not hominem attack. I'll just say that it's all hackery, right? If you can show them, if you can show them the man behind the curtain, right? You can say, look, 
that guy back there is pulling the levers. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Look, look behind the curtain. And they look in there and go, oh my gosh. Yeah, this doesn't make any sense. And then they, can, they have the right tools. And then you have an entire generation that cannot be stopped. That's why, if you have a shot glass, Jordan Peterson says, if you can read, <laughs> you can write, and you can talk, you are incredibly dangerous. I'm curious what... What, what are the things that convince you that we've lost the things that you're saying we've lost? And that's, that's not to say I disagree with you. No, that's good. I it's, I, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I think, I think just, just the nature, the nature of the culture that, that we're living in, if, if you look at, you know, if you just look at the look at the news, look at the social media, look at the popular popular media, it doesn't seem to me like any of the discourses out there. Well, okay, any that's too too overarching, but it doesn't it doesn't seem like there's a lot of a lot of discourse that isn't just sort of tit for tat and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, mudslinging and uh, name calling. You know, it just, it just seems, seems like there's not a lot of thought. Like it's a lot more, like we're in a <clears throat> process of devolution or like moving to idiocracy, you know, mm-hmm. sort of thing where, um, I mean, I, I just, I just don't see where people get the idea that we're evolving, you know, because, it, like, I set this goal for myself. My idea from my grandpa was he, he read a biography about every single president, you know, and so I've been, so like, that's a really cool idea. Have a biography of every president. I would say I've read Long Beach, and just like, just like reading. You know, just you know, founding fathers and and people that inspired them and stuff. You look; it, it just seems like we're almost like semi-literate, you know, at this point in time. And 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 the funny thing about you know, we 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 have we revered this group of people so much that we have like our own little group, and they have the audacity to say, "Well, I'm not really learned." <laughs> like you know, Tolkien yeah. and Lewis and, and Chesterton, 
I'll kind of make that claim that they're not really experts, you know, about some of the things that they're writing about. And I, so I, I just look and I go, how, how, how can we ever get back, you know, to, to that? I don't know if I explained that well. Yeah. There, there's, a, there's a couple of things. So if we look at, at uh, New York Times put out an article that said that we need to get rid of critical thinking. Because critical thinking can't keep up with misinformation. And so you don't need to be doing critical thinking. You need to find reliable sources and listen to reliable sources. Okay, I go. This is this is New York Times saying that you need to listen to reliable sources. Like, well, do you mean like the New York Times? Is that what you're? Why should I trust you? You know, like I think people are like, oh yeah, I'll just find I'll find good sources. Like that doesn't make any sense. And then you have people like in uh, in the uh, John Roberts, the Chief Justice made a decision on uh, the Affordable Care Act. And now this, this was, this is, you see these, this is kind of like abolition of man type stuff, okay? So there were these state mandates. And if your state had these mandates, um, you were eligible to get federal money. But if your state didn't have a certain mandate, you weren't eligible to get federal money. John Roberts made a decision saying that, well, even if you didn't have the mandates, you should still get the federal money because that's the way it should work. So words don't mean anything because they if somebody says, we don't want these mandates, John Roberts says, no, they want the mandates. So Antonin Scalia wrote a dissent and said, if we go down this path, politically, words will have no meaning. And at that point, what, what begins to happen, right? And so I think you're also seeing something else come on the stage in this notion of, and what he's talking about is, you start to see this notion of collectivism, right? And he talks about that, if you guys see where he talks about collectivism, I'm actually going to read something about this. But it, it's important because what happens when you go to collectivism is that you are guilty of the sins of the collective. So you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent, okay? And so what this means is that when someone criticizes something, you have to prove your innocence instead of the other way around. So you're already, you're already in a back, backpedaling. So Chesterton couldn't even say anything because they would say, oh, you're a white person, you've written this, that this is a document that's rooted in white supremacy. Why? Because you're a white person who wrote this. That's a circular reason. And you couldn't fight that. You know what I'm saying? You're like, well, I can't, I can't, I can't fight it because you're guilty into your innocence. So we've had fundamental shifts in critical thinking that are that are causing a, a devolution of, of of just overall thinking. And I mean I see it I sit here and listen to conversations, not will not willfully, with, you hear them and I go, so loud Oh my God, what what is going on? Mm -hmm. Um had a had a friend one time he was like, well oh, I think socialism is a great idea. I was like, well, can you explain it to me? He didn't know what socialism was. He just thought it was some good idea. And I go, oh my gosh. These are the people who are making decisions in about 10 years. What? Have you read Chesterton? No, I haven't read. Have you read Lewis? Not really. Have you, who have you read? You know, because there's this push now in, in scholastics that you, you shouldn't read anything beyond the 21st century. Because like technology, Everything prior to you becomes obsolete. 
And so these guys just go, oh, these are just white supremacists. Just get, and you go, Ooh. Then we are destined to repeat everything all over again. That's kind of, I feel like, where we're, where we're headed in that. Um, yeah, I, I, think my, I think my main thoughts are just, I, on the one hand, I don't know history well enough to know that if you went back to a coffee shop in 1900, I don't know that you would definitely not hear conversations that would make you feel the same way. Hmm. And I also don't know that the take that we get, because a lot of the things that you just described that convince you that our culture is in this devolution, and again, I'm not saying I think it's not, I'm saying I, I feel like I don't know, and I think, I think there can be dangers to buying into that premise too heavily. And so, I think, assuming culture, like, real life people are the way that they are presented on social media, or the way they are presented on The View, or the way they are presented on whatever television thing, or whatever media you want to pick, is like, I don't know that the media and the culture itself are actually commensurate, but I think a lot of people think they are, and I don't know if that's. But a good all idea those either. platforms are just out shouting what uh, their beliefs are. Yeah. There's no real discussion between polarizing groups. Yeah, yeah, on the media platforms, by and large, you don't agree, and and so I, yeah, again, I don't. I just I I think it seems like. Basically, every generation feels like they're in devolution, and so. Well, so I feel like I don't know that we're in a different kind of revolution than other periods have been in. Well, I, I would say there are other markers as well. One, you could look at uh, depressions and suicides and abortions, and you could look into uh, you know financial states, and um, I mean, you could look. So, well, here's something. In the 1900s, they weren't talking about uh, minor attraction as being about something, minor attraction being something that's being lauded as an orientation, uh, a sexual orientation. Um, and so I think when you start looking into those, now there were certain, every generation, we do think that we're at the worst because we're the tip of the spear, you know? And so, and so yes, we, we all do look and say, yeah, it's all falling, it's, it's all falling apart. And there is a recurring theme here. And so I bet from about 80 years ago, people were sitting in the same place going, yeah, we're about to, about to go into it. And then what, we go, yeah, we're at World War, you know. So yes, there is those. But I think you can, I think you can track, historically, you can see a, a decline of a, of, of a civilization as, as it goes down. And one of the things that gives, that gives me this pause is, 20 years ago, if someone looked at you and said, um, here's that guy on the radio got censored. He said something, like, you know, they took him off the radio. I'd be like, oh my gosh, no way. Can't do that freedom of speech. I know people, literally friends going, I think we should censor more. I think if you say something wrong, you should be taken off. You should be canceled and go, hey, this is not, this is not the America I grew up in. This is not the America that I grew up in 15 years ago. And so I see people are like, oh, this flag is, they, no respect for the flag, no respect. It wasn't flag mean, oh, it's a racist symbol. You, you hear all this, you go, 15, 20 years, you wouldn't have heard this. We are divided. And you think, well, that's not a very big deal. The flag's not a very big deal. What keeps a culture together are the icons, right? Because we can't articulate um, like a Chesterton. 
but we all can we all can look at, at we all can look at a symbol and interpret the symbol and have a cause for either national pride or things mm -hmm. like that. And so, but if you can attack the symbols of a country, that's what kind of holds us together, right? The the the, the the, uh, our, the Bill of Rights, our flags, and all those things. When you start to chip away at those things and you have people on one side doing, oh, the, the flag is that, oh, if you like the American flag, you're a conservative. And that's what somebody told me. I had a picture of the American flag. Oh, you guys must be conservative. When did the American flag become a conservative? <laughs> I made a post. Uh hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, a year and a half ago when we went out west, we went to Mount Rushmore. And I just shared a post. West was holding the American flag in front of Mount Rushmore. And, um... And I just talked about a little, I touched a little bit like you know, on a couple of those topics, but it was just more just like our country's flawed, but what a beautiful place we live in. And the first comments were, well, as long as you know that there are people suffering because of this flag. And I was like, why do I, do I have to include that every time I speak about our country? Every time? Um, but it would, and it's funny because literally the second, I finished with that photo. These two, uh, this couple from India said, can we borrow your flag? Can we hold it for the... It was beautiful. Because <laughs> there are people from all over the world that love America. They wanted to hold the American flag and show it off in a photo of their own. Um, and not everyone feels that way, but it was just like kind of a sweet... And you know, you have these <laughs> little white girls yelling at me on Instagram. Um, Making sure that they're like, well, I just need to know. I need you. To, I need to know that you're not racist, though, Nina. And I was like, huh? Yeah. I mean, literally, that was a thing that was said in that comment thread. And I'm like, I've been talking about this stuff forever. Uh, it's like that. All of a sudden, we can't even like our own country. And I'm like, these people haven't traveled because every country. I, I've lived all over the world, and people love their countries. Even the worst countries, they love their countries. Like. Norwegians, oh my gosh, like my mom's from Norway. It's like, they are obsessed with their country. They got Norwegian flags flying everywhere all the time. Um, but I just, sorry, I went off on a rabbit trail, but it was just no, one of things. That's good. Just, um, I, I think that, to, that this book is very timely, however, because it, it is on a macro level addressing that very concept that says, oh, by the definition of the, of the elapsing of time, yeah. we must be progressing. Yeah. And that, yeah, there's this, this thing that just happens, and because we're modern, and we got more gadgets, and we got more, you know, richer and live longer and stuff like that. that makes us then our thoughts must be that much better. But 
you remember um, Norway? Mm, I don't know what you, oh no, it was when we did our about, no, 2013, right? Yeah, anyways, um, that year, that summer, we were doing a photo shoot, mm -hmm. we were walking up the mountain with this Norwegian girl, and um, she and Wes were talking, she was an atheist, and Wes is a Christian, and she was, you can know what she was saying. She made a side comment about how Christians were kind of stupid. And I'm like, well, I'm a Christian. And it's like, I'm a thinker. And she's like, well, you can't. And I just basically took apart her arguments. And finally she said. She, but her main argument was like, we are so much smarter. We're so, yeah, we're so much smarter. Yeah, she said, we are so much smarter. And actually, Sam Harris made this exact argument. Better information now. Sam Harris said, everyone sitting on, this, on these, these seats right here is smarter as more common sense than any first century person. And to which, I mean, I wasn't there, but my first thought was, Aristotle, wasn't he like right. 500 years before <laughs> Jesus? And you mentioned that to her, and she didn't have anything yeah, to say. Yeah, and I mentioned, I was like, what about, I said, Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, said, those guys were hundreds of years before Jesus. Right. We still study them. Right. You, you think you're smarter than Aristotle? She didn't have a response. And she's like, well, uh, but those are the kind of pushbacks <laughs> that you, that's the kind of pushback that you need, and yeah. just go, have some humility here, guys. We just because you're because the thing is, it's difficult because my generation looks at the coming generation and says, You guys are idiots, stop mm -hmm. it. The same thing that the generation before me said to me, stop it. And there is a there is enough of that coming. I think that we need to my generation and the generation need to have some grace and go, they'll figure it out, maybe. Um, <laughs> But there also needs to be some things that, there are things that are true, and when people aren't holding to those things that are true, you have to go, this is dangerous, guys. This is dangerous for you to say um, that a clump of cells uh, can be discarded from a woman and go, no, that's, that's very dangerous for you to start messing with language, you know, to, to get your way, because you start doing that, What's going to happen is you're going to have the Tower of Babel situation that's going to be really, really, really bad. Um, and so that's the kind of devolution that we see where language suddenly loses its meaning, its objective meaning. Mm -hmm. Because someone's like, well, I want to get my way, so I'm going to twist language. When you do that, someone else gets to do the same to you. And then suddenly society means. And here's the thing. From in the last five years, there's been more chaos in society than I've seen in the last 30 years. It just, like this, mm -hmm. just boom. I mean, if someone would said they were minor attracted 15 years ago, yeah, they would have probably got beaten in the streets. Like, oh no, I, and like flaunting, like wow, minor attracted, like, it's like, yeah, someone's gonna take you out. That, this is just, Jesus himself said, if you do anything to a little one, it's better that you tie a millstone around your neck and you toss yourself in the ocean. Um, and so, but now we're like, oh, this this thing, this, this should be applauded, and we need to affirm this and stuff. We go. Oh but there gosh. have been times like that. I mean, I read a lot of World War II Holocaust stories, and I mean, I just read the. You guys know who Richard Wormerant, um, Voice mm -hmm. of Martyrs. Mm -hmm. So yep. I just finished um, uh, the Pastor's Wife, which is Sabina, one of Sabina's stories, uh, her books. I mean, it's just like she talks about the propaganda, and she talks about the way everyone talked about what was good 
now mm -hmm. and what was smart now and what was the right thing and how religion was just oppressive and bad and stupid and um, and how good communism was. And, I mean, like she talked about. I mean, it's it's it was like listening. It was like reading about kind of <clears throat> our present day with just different. Slightly different, um, slightly different uh, topics. You care to read the, this next two okay. next two pages? She's going to do some reading. Some of them are despotic. So it's talking about governments and things like that. Okay, so this is this is the civilization chapter three. But we cannot tell that they have always been. Is that how you say it, despotic? Yeah. Okay. But we cannot tell that they have always been despotic. Some of them may be already decadent, and nearly all are mentioned as if they were old. We do not know what really happened in the world before those records, but the little we do know would leave us anything but astonished if we learned that it was much, very much like what happens in this world now. Okay. So what you're saying, Cody, is, so Cheshire's saying that we think we've progressed so far that we have these civilizations and everybody, everything before us was barbarism. He's going, we have no record that everything was barbarism before. They probably had societies that were civil just like ours. Uh, there would be nothing inconsistent or confounding about the discovery that those unknown ages were full of republics collapsing under monarchies and rising again as republics. Empire, empires expanding and finding colonies and then losing colonies, kingdoms combining again into world states and breaking up again into small nationalities, classes selling themselves into slavery and marching out once more into liberty. All that procession of humanity, which may or may not be a progress, but is most assuredly a romance, but the first chapters of the romance have been torn out of the book, and we shall never read them. It's exactly. <clears throat> this seems to happen. You get freedom, and you have it for generations. You have to fight for it. And then there are generations, and he says it, I don't know if he says it here coming up, but he says it in there that they get tired, they're exhausted. They want somebody to take over, so they give in to the autocratic. And as soon as they give in to the autocratic and become slaves, they become the revolutionary to win back their freedom. Sabina literally talked about this at the end of the book. That's it's that cycle. And so what, what I see is I'm going, oh, yeah, we're giving over and saying we're tired. We need someone to do something about this. Here's you guys do it. And as soon as that happens... We're going to have to go and, oh, now we become, now become freedom fighters and we got to win our freedom back. And then we'll have it for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And then we'll, some generation will come and they'll give it away again. And it's that thing going, it's, it's human nature. It's saying that all these civilizations before us, it's probably a very good, they're, I mean, because I, I was teaching my kids about the Nile, the Nile River. Like, there were cities. They had roads. They had, they had mapped out cities. They had sewer systems. This is back like 2500 BC. So we think we're so progressive and they had this stuff back then. We thought there were savages back then. They had codes, they had written languages, they had I was, cities. You know, I was reading um, Exodus today and just the amount of artistry that was going down when they were bringing sacrifices to yeah. the Lord and then it was like, <clears throat> we brought too much, we don't need any more. But all the like, the garment making and the stuff, the way they built the ark and then the the temple. I mean, like when I was listening to it, I was like, <clears throat> "How did they make all these things?" I kept thinking about like how did they make all these threads and the gold and thin sheets of gold and 
all the, the things they had to wear, and I'm like... Without electricity? I, how? I just blew my mind how they created these things, and they're, I mean, they had to be beautiful. <laughs> but also, I was like, dang, why did they have to wear all that stuff <laughs> when they went to the temple, to the holiest of holies? Anyways, that was just, and that's beginning of time, practically. Right, and so, no, I think that a question is fantastic to ask to, to wrestle it out, because we don't, we don't need just to, to throw it out there like, oh, you guys are a bunch of idiots and you're going to destroy the world, but no. But we need to wrestle out what's real in this, what, what is the actual, where are we actually failing at and what is actually just, uh, some things need to change, because not, you, you ever watch movies and there'll be some movie that comes out and the goal is, all the old stuff needs to go away because the new stuff is, is you know, the, the coach, the old coach won't allow the new guy to, to play the way he wants to play. It's a, new, it's a new scheme and the coach won't let him. Finally, the coach lets the new thing come over and they start. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Winning and they win, they win everything because the, the old let the new take over. Then you have movies where the new guy wants to destroy everything old and they go back to the old stuff and actually they win. You go, which one's right? Well, they're both right. Destroy everything new, you meant? Yeah, so, so like the new guy comes in, he wants, to, he, he wants to push all the old, like, you know, you go watch the Hallmark movies, right? And they're like, the new company wants to come in and, and take, you know, take, tear down the old city or whatever. And then the old city has all the camaraderie and all the, all the community and they, and they show the, the rich guy, hey, look at this, you know. I love that you can reference Hallmark. Yeah, the, the old actually has value. The, the foundations actually have value. And so what we, we learn is that the new has value and the old has value. We need to find a balance in between those. And right now, postmodernism is, is on a full throttle progress. Everything progress. And so that means every foundation has to be torn down. We have to deconstruct everything because you, your, your, uh, your foundations that came before me had oppression in it. And so therefore, anything that has oppression has to be, has to be, and you go. We should also erase it from history. Yeah, erase it. You, you can even be done away with, which I warn and say, if you think you saw oppression under capitalism and free markets and Judeo-Christian values, it's very interesting that that in uh, the Inquisitions, you guys remember the Inquisitions, not necessarily the Spanish Inquisition, but the Inquisitions, it was one of the greatest legal systems up to that date. People would commit blasph blasphemy so that they would have to be tried by the, by, the, by the Catholic courts. And you go, why would they do that? Because the, because the pagan courts were so bad that at least they might get a chance at justice. And so when you see a Victorian society, you have to ask, what would create a Victorian society? Is it all just power and hierarchies? Or was society devolved so bad into hedonism that maybe they were looking for some structure that might cause some flourishing? Now, 
Victorian society probably pushed too far that way into being stifling. But you're, you're bringing up such a great point here that we, we're not going to get it right. It's this give and take. We have, to, we have to bring in some of the new and to keep some of the old. We have to figure out. And it's this, it's this back and forth. We go too far this way and suffering. We go too far this way, suffering. We've we got to keep it somewhere in a balance of that. Well, it seems like, I, I, I think I just often hear, I think it's popular to bemoan the, the devolution of our culture. It's just like, I hear that a lot, especially in Christian circles, just talking about like how much culture is, you know, turning into this cesspit and all this stuff. And, and I think there's a certain sense in which I agree with that sentiment. I think it's just, to me, it feels really important to me to identify like, like what you just said, like what we're talking about, like what is the diagnosis that we're actually describing here. But I think it's also super important to define like who are we talking about? Mm -hmm. Because it's so easy to talk about like this they, they the yes. postmodernists. I don't like I don't know a single person who would say I am a postmodernist. Right. Like I, I don't know any of those people, and some of that is just like my circle is not that big. But frankly, I think most of the people who I know who talk about the postmodernists don't know anyone who would identify as a postmodernist. And that's not like a shot at anyone. It's just like, I feel like it's really easy to <clears throat> create or like, you know, yeah, almost create this enemy of like, oh, this person out there who's doing all these things. And it's like, well, you know, I, I, know, I know many. Yeah. I, I was, at, you know, in school, I was in English literature, so I had a postmodern professor. And we were in the artistic community. A lot of them. There and that, so but yes, most most people don't have that experience. Yeah, I feel like it's also, but the circles that maybe we run in, we hear certain because the people we communicate with. I mean, because I, I mean, even the last two years, every issue that has popped up in COVID 2020-2021 was like everything was so polarized and it was like if you hang out with this group of people they all think this about this group of people yeah. and sometimes I feel like it's just the, the sphere of influence or the, the people we engage with so yeah. it feels a little bit like that because there's the whole other group that's like wow we're really progressing <laughs> you know right. we're really like we're really moving towards something good finally we're leaving all these old you know racist supremacist uh, conservative, whatever values behind. So, like, because I have, we moved <laughs> in all our travels, like, I meet that we meet so many people that are on over here that don't hear anything you're hearing. Mm -hmm. They just hear how much we hate them, apparently. But so I'm just like, I find it interesting, like, a lot of times it's like more, I don't know. I mean, obviously, again, I'm speaking from my spirit, the people I spend time with, but. Sometimes I feel like it's what we're most exposed to, so we hear that the most. Mm -hmm. Some of the conversations I hear and hear, they're like, oh, I know it's like a Christian school, but they should act more like this. And like people are bemoaning Christians yeah. here at the coffee shop all the time. I hear it all the time. And so, like, so this group, terrible. This group, terrible. Um, I don't know. I don't know what my entire point is. I'm just like, when you were saying that, yeah. it made me think, like, sometimes I just feel like we hear. Because we usually engage and hang, spend time, like intimate time, with right. people that agree with us more. Right. Because it would be really just exhausting if we spent all of our time with people we disagree with. We need those people, but yeah. 
But it seems think? like well, it seems like the the dialogue that you're describing, where it's like, okay, well, like we have to figure out what from the new that we need and what from the old that we need needs to happen between the camps of people that we're talking about. Right. Where it's like, because it's like, okay, on the one hand, like, yeah, I don't want to settle for the premise that like America is just this wildly racist country. We need to tear down our whole history and burn all the books and write something new. Mm. On the other hand, like, I think there's some serious reckoning that needs to happen with issues of slavery in our past that are continuing to play out. And it's like, I think there's a place in the middle there, and I don't think every issue is like, okay, let's just pick the middle or something. No, but no, isn't no, this yes. a good example of like, here's this group of people that's trying to bring in something new, and it's being resisted because maybe they're not doing it super well, but it seems like the solution to that isn't to be like, all oh, these terrible people who are calling our country racist and stuff, and it's like, well, maybe their goal is to reconcile with the issues of racism in our past, and they're not doing it super gracefully, and maybe we, we should try to find those people and have meaningful dialogues with them rather than create camps. And and I'm not trying to blame anyone here or anything for saying we're creating camps. I just feel like most of the conversations about, I hear about our culture are the, the conversation or someone, you know, bemoaning all this stuff that's happening in our culture, but I feel like usually that's not really backed by a ton of engagement with people who are postmodernists or a ton of people who are liberals who really support mandatory vaccinations or a ton of people, it's like, it's easier to talk about culture without actually engaging face-to-face -face with people who are in different camps, you know? We get that opportunity a lot, but I know a lot of people don't. I don't, I don't think a lot of people do, and I could be wrong, like I'm... I think it's only because Wes and I travel so much, we have so many people in different places, uh, and, and I think that's why yeah. we probably have a different experience, but you're probably right, most people probably don't have our experience, because we engage with so many people who vehemently disagree with us. Mm. But they don't have to do with us because we're so nice about it. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm, I'm genuinely glad to hear that. But yeah, I think, so that's what, I think that's what we need. That's like, not what it's supposed to be like. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, they get really frustrated with us. There's frustration because they don't know what to do with why are they being so kind? They're not fulfilling all of my ideas about what they're supposed to be like. Now, I've also walked through a lot of what you're talking about, like racial all of our racial history and all that, like Wes and I have been on very different pages in the past in regards to that. Mm -hmm. But um, that's a whole other topic we could sure. talk about sometime because yeah. and next, I don't even next time you next time you come over and we can talk about it. because uh, we've definitely been in different places than that, but it's been interesting. Like even that whole issue, especially having black kids mm -hmm. trying to yeah. wrestle out how do we engage when we do? Yesterday I was like, do you guys wish we were spending, you guys were spending more time with other black kids? They're like, no. <laughs> we like our friends just because they're our friends, not because of the color of their skin. I'm like, okay, fair. Also, I'm your parent. I, I, I have to, you're, you're a kid, so you don't know what's best for you. But also, sometimes you know better than we do. Right. I mean, there's all kinds of interest, like, we've had so many conversations, <coughs> but we're also very open. And we talk about everything with our kids. Um, but I don't know, this is bunny trailing. Yeah, well, I don't, think this, I don't think this is good. See, one of the things that I've noticed in my observations in the political sphere of our country, we, we, are, we are gearing towards tribalism. Okay? Now, don't use that word, it's offensive. Now, why, why we're doing that is, is because, as Andrew Clavin says, politics is the opposite of thinking. It demands you pick a side. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, there's also been this, so we, we've had moral relativism, right? You, you guys, moral relativism, it's you get to choose your own morals, your own moral, own moral values. 
there's been this notion of you can't tell me what's wrong. Like, you know, I want to do this, this is what's right for my life, this is what I want to do. And I've had people look at me in, just in the face and say that. Like, I get to choose my own, my own morals, okay? Then you have a moral vacuum, you have a void, right? This is an observation I've made. The language of the progressive left, if you notice, their political stances are moral stances. If you look at it, everything they talk about is a, it's immoral or it's the moral, it's the right thing to do, it's the good, it's moral. Okay, it's no longer is it legal. It's not a legal conversation, it's a moral conversation. So politics has moved into moral, right? That becomes a religion. That becomes divisive because now it's, it, it's no longer just, hey, if you like the Second Amendment or you like this thing, it's no longer, well, there's a legal battle here going on. No, no. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For immoral. You go, wow, wait a second. That immoral? That's a huge, that's a huge implication. I thought we could have choose our morals. No, no, you don't get it. You get, I get to choose my morals, but I get to choose my morals for you as well. And there's this whole thing. I've had so many conversations with, with friends in social media and in real, in, in real life. And it's very, it's very frustrating because their arguments basically, when it boils down to it, not all of them, but most of them are, yeah, so is your face. <laughs> When they get to the point where they can't argue anymore and they get mad, and it's like, yeah, you're stupid. I go, I just want an honest dialogue. That's all I want. I just want honest dialogue. But I don't know how many people are interested in honest dialogues because here's the thing. When you have that religiosity behind your political views, conservatives as well, oh my gosh, yeah. it's, it becomes having an honest dialogue but you know what? Is, is so hard. I think the way we talk to people makes a difference, though. Like, you and I... I, I don't think it falls on deaf ears, not all the time. I mean, think of like, I think we get a lot of people thinking about things, like when we were in Switzerland, Switzerland. and we were at this Airbnb and this woman was like, uh, she's from Switzerland, but she works, she's a teacher at UC Davis. UC Davis. Oh and gosh, she's <laughs> in California. Very yeah, it's, uh, so yeah, she was a progressive school. I was, but it was right after the election yeah. when Trump was elected. Yes, because we traveled right after Trump was elected, and everyone assumed they were. They, it was actually true at the time. Everyone assumed we did vote for Trump because we're traveling, and because educated people travel, and uneducated people vote for Trump, and they don't travel. Like literally, that was the everyone assumed immediately. But that was an interesting thing too, because we traveled all over Europe that time, that trip. But that woman could not understand why we didn't like Hillary Clinton. And, and then she started talking about homeschool. And she said, why would anyone not want the government to teach your children? 
And Wes and I are like, she's like, everyone would want that, right? And we were like, no. Look, absolutely not. She's, she's like, like she's why said, not? the government knows what's best for your children. And we're like, we disagree with that. Well, nope. um, and and she said, well, you guys are privileged. You get to have, you know, you get to homeschool. I'm like, actually, it's a great sacrifice to homeschool. It's not a, it's, we don't have all the money in the world to just stay at home and hang out with our kids. You know, it's a sacrifice. But because she was kept getting elevated and Western like, oh, that's, that's an interesting, that's a good thought. You know, we were kind. And I all, I like to believe, maybe this is naive, but I think we always leave people something to chew on because of the way we act. Because we break stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Because we're supposed to be angry, white supremacist, whatevers. Right. Um, and they don't know how to deal with the fact that, I mean, sometimes people are confused by my ideas. They're like, wait, she talks about her black kids and their hair and this, but she's a conservative. I can tell that those two don't go together. And, and then every time someone would, I, I don't know, I just think like there's something to the way we speak to one another, and that's how we don't like, I think social media has like just unleashed an entire new hell of, the way we treat one another because there's no repercussions at all for how we act or what we say. Um, not really. I mean, there are, but there aren't. Um, you want an example of a, how just being yourself and being true to yourself? It's been 35 years ago now. I spent six months in England, mm -hmm. uh, self-funded sabbatical after going to a world gathering of young friends in North Carolina and making some good friends from England. So I, Started saving up and found about found out about Woodbrook Quaker Study Center in Birmingham, and applied Quaker thing in, in Oxford. Yeah. Yeah. And um, went over there, and um, my first term there, I was put in Tregear House, which was two apartment, two rooms above the garage of this one instructor's house, and my roommate was a gal named Sarah or Sass. And she wasn't too sure she wanted to be a roommate with an American. The only Americans <coughs> she ever met were the Americans that were on the military base station there in England and stuff like that. Her only experience was protesting at the base, you know, and all that sort of stuff. That was her, that was her sum total experience mm -hmm. being around, you know, yeah. of Americans yeah. and such. It was just the military aspect and such. And here I am, this pacifist Quaker. Mm -hmm. Non-military, you know, I support the military, but I don't think it's the be-all, end-all, or anything like mm -hmm. that, and that should be our first and foremost decision in any, yeah. in any. See, in any, stereotype broken. Mm -hmm. Yes, and after spending the term with me and stuff like that, she she goes, you know, I did, I thought I didn't like Americans, but now I know you, I know that I right. I should go meet some more yeah. and stuff like that, and just have it being able to. The thing is, that takes time. It takes a personal investment. It takes time. Oh, but we don't and have time for that do kind of stuff. As, you know, <coughs> social media is great for keeping up with friends and stuff like yep. that. But I'm, you know, and I have deepened some friendships that were kind of minor friendships, folks that I met while they were traveling through mm -hmm. either the university or the seminary, and they've gone on, and we've kept in touch through social media, and I've gotten to know them some better through that. But most of my Facebook friends and stuff are the folks that I've known from way before, yeah. and I just use it as a means of keeping up and yeah. such. But to, in order to 
influence people to have that dialogue and stuff like that, you have to have these sessions like what we're having right here. It's things like this that give me hope. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that there are groups like this around that are still meeting face to face, person to person, mm -hmm. getting together in coffee shops and stuff, or wherever, and having open, honest dialogue. And I think that's the greatest weapon of the enemy of this world is to taking away that community and taking away face to face because if we can just limit our communications to online, we don't have true relationship. We don't have true community. We don't have true anything. And when we when we can make that dissolve, I mean everything is fair game for anyone. And uh, there's that's just so important what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Just how yeah. much it worries me. The kids that. That place their estimation of their own value on how many followers they have and how many friends they have on Facebook and how many followers they have on Instagram and TikTok and stuff. And it's oh, like, no. No, it's so hard. Honey, no, you're missing out on so much of I'm so glad my kids are not in, a, in that screen world. I just cannot. But yeah, I just, like, there's so many stereotypes because we no longer, like, I one of my friends, she, two years ago, she posted about like this article. I shared this before. This article. I think I did maybe share this in this group. But anyways, she shared this article. Um, this woman wrote about supporting abortion, for instance, and it was all about like one of the reasons abortion is good is it keeps children out of foster care. That because foster care can be so bad. And I and I, I found I'm not easily offended. That offended me. Because my little children, it was like saying, so what you're saying is, if I hadn't adopted, if no one had adopted, it would have been better for them to die because they might have been in a bad situation. And, and she's like, well, no, Nina, I know you're not like this, but don't, don't you agree most Christians, they only care about the baby, they don't care about the mother? I'm like, I absolutely disagree. I don't know what Christians you know. But that's, a, that's one of those things people just say. People start yeah. saying, because she, she's, but... This is all her limited experiences. She had five Christian friends, and I know some of them, and they are not like that. But because of what we see in the media, it paints a picture. Christians only care about babies, unborn babies. They don't care about the mother. They don't care about all the situations. They don't care about the family. And I'm like, none of that's true. I don't know any Christians like that. They're, I'm sure they exist. I know they exist. But that's an, I don't think that's the general consensus. I mean, Christians are all about helping the entire family. <laughs> but... But we limit our, our worldview to this group. We, we say, oh, I have a friend who had this experience. And all of a sudden, that validates all of our... It validates it a little. But there's, there, I'm like, there's like billions of Christians, or I think maybe at least a billion on the planet. <laughs> That's the composite and, and, uh, and division fallacy, if you guys know what that is. The composite and division fallacy is you take... Uh, Either you take a person, and whatever qualities this person has, you attribute to the group, the group, yeah. the same qualities that this person has. So, if there's a white person who is a Nazi white supremacist, then all white people are Nazi white supremacists. Likewise, if you have a group of, uh, if you have a group, everybody in that group has to have the qualities of that group, even though you're an individual. So it takes the individual qualities and places on an entire group. It takes the group qualities and places on an individual. And that's what we do. And you've heard it play the term other people, othering people, right? When we other people, when we say, 
um, all these liberals are idiots, all these conservatives are racist, they're othering them. And the moment that you can other somebody and you take away their humanity, you take away, Hitler called Jews vermin, right? So once he did that, what can he do to them? They're no longer human. They've changed the definition of what that person is, so therefore, I can do anything to you. When you other somebody, when you call a baby a clump of cells, what you can do to that by changing the definition. See, there is no moral progress. Moral progression doesn't exist. Yeah. Because it, the only way to get true moral progress is to say that murder is beneficial for society, it's good. Lying is beneficial for society. The, murder and lying are optimal. Uh, hedonism is optimal. All of these things are optimal. That's the only way to get moral progress. But we know if you, if you make lying a virtue, you no longer have a society, right? So we know that that's not moral progress. But we can change definitions of things, then we can look like we're progressing morally in that. And so um, we, we other each other. And it, it's, this one guy told me that you need to have proximity, frequency, and communication. That's the only way this thing has changed. Like you say, not on social media, not on that. It's these conversations we're having right now. It's the conversations of, of sitting down and pushing back with somebody. Yeah. And, that's, and that's the only way. But the problem is, and so I think this is why I think Joel and myself and some others see the, the devolution. Debate is not even allowed. Right? So let's just take, uh, you, you can take any so-called conspiracy that happened conspiracy theory that happened the last two years. What happens when a lot of the conspiracy theories actually turn out to be true? But the people who were saying them weren't allowed to say them anymore and they were, they were like, oh, you're a conspiracy, you're a nut, you're an idiot, go away, right? You can't even debate, you can't even disagree. You can't say, you know what, I don't think masks work as well as you think they do. And they're like, oh, you like to kill grandma. And you're like, what, 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 what? I just, like, there's medical research over here that, that actually, I, like, I've gone to PubMed, I've read articles that say that actually doctors are considering not wearing masks during surgery because the infection rate is basically the same. It's been a study since the 1970s. Like, there's a massive, massive stuff on this. You can't say that because if you do in that moment, society attacks, right? And so debate is not being allowed. I think that's the now, biggest well, thing. I would also, again, I, so you might be unique in this case, but I've heard people say, like, oh, you can't say that. And the only pushback I would have is, like, where can't you say that? Oh, like, I mean, you, on, you on social media. You can't say it on social media and have a bunch of, like, people type. No, 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 no. We, like, we, we know people who have been canceled out of social media. Sure. And I think that I'm happens. That. But I just. But so in a, in a I society. Mean, I just think where, equating the social media world and, like, the us sitting in a coffee shop oh, no, is no. not the best idea. I think there are plenty of places between people that you can't right. say that and have a reasonable dialogue about You can it. in this, sure. but I'm talking about the public square. Social media now is the public square. It's the media, it's the newsroom, it's those things. And so, if you can't have debate in the public arena, mm -hmm. where most, where millions and millions and millions of people are, sure. you're not gonna have it here, and it's going to have an impact locally. But we're talking about global impact, right? And all the stories out there are going to pushing this one idea. And the moment you try to push it back, they're like, no, you, you're suspended on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I know people who've been suspended on Twitter for posting 
information from the CDC. Literally, information from the CDC, and you're like, no, that's disinformation. One of my good and, friends was. And you go, like, <laughs> literally. What, what the, this, is, this is, you're the government. Like, we're, we're quoting the government. No, <clears throat> to be taken out of context, misinformation, you go. So, only in, so in the, that's where everybody gets their news. Like, they get their news from Instagram, from Twitter. That's where people get their source of news. And so, if there's not a dissenting voice out there, it gets very hard. Um, this conversation have a great impact. It will on us locally, but on a global scale, it's not going to have that. So that's what people are saying is um, the public square being social media now. Yeah. That makes it difficult when there's that kind of, but I agree. No, I can say it right now. I can say it to you. You might call me a name, big deal, you know. But um, let's say I have, a, I have a business out there where I do a podcast and I make, you know, $2,000 a month making a podcast, and I put on there that masks don't work as well as people think. Twitter comes by and says, I don't know, sorry, you're suspended for two weeks. Right. My followers drop off. I lose income. You go, well, wait, that, that, that's, there's no debate here, there's no dissent here. And so yeah. th those are things that actually have been going on for the last two years, and you just go, this, is, this feels really <laughs> weird. Yeah. Like, like it. I feel constraint, like I feel literal constraints on me sometimes just going, I don't know what, it, I mean, if you guys remember back when uh, uh, posting black squares, right? Everybody, everybody was posting black squares. And then people got interpreted posting black squares because white people were posting too many black squares. Like, you, everybody stop posting black squares. Like, you told us to post black squares. <laughs> Now we're posting too many black squares. A lot of people are confused. Yeah, it's like, ah, what's, what's going on? We're getting told we're not posting black squares. Yeah. And you, you, but then you got in trouble for posting it. You just, I don't, so, I don't know. So there's mixed messaging. Silence sure. is violence. And violence is speech. You go, wait, wait, wait. My speech is violence, but your violence is speech. I can't, I, mean, I can't, I can't get this so... Um, I've never lived in a more confusing time. We've, we've think, lived a golden era for you, 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think if the if the justice to the Supreme Court cannot answer the question of what a woman is, and this is one of the highest people to be making decisions, <laughs> And if you have to be a biologist to know what a woman is, and yet it was important for her to be elected to the Supreme Court because she's a woman. That is too much logic, buddy. I just say I I feel like that's that's a that's, like see that's a decay of thought. That that isn't just on Facebook. I'm not. Yeah. That's that's a that's a decay of basic principles and of thought to a, the highest level I wouldn't of even our, say that's like a conservative culture. or liberal issue, what you're talking about. That's just a, what you're saying, it's just a decay. It's just, yeah. it's just a decay uh, of mind. Back. Gosh, I, wanted, I was hoping we'd circle back to this because I had a few thoughts on, on that. Um, growing up, like when I heard the term evolution, I always interpreted it as meaning this linear progression. So, one thing that was really popular in the 90s, you know, with like Pokemon cards and Yu-Gi-Oh cards, and they would use the term evolve 
and you know, so you're leveling up. And yeah. so evolution was presented to kids yeah. as being linear, as being like technology where you're obsolescing the previous mm -hmm. versions. Um, and I didn't really know much what to do with evolution for a long time. <clears throat> and in high school, like Ken Ham was kind right. of um, saying that that the doctrine of demons and it's leading everyone astray. And so I kind of thought that for a while. And then in college, I did, studied engineering and I did, uh, business. Didn't really think too much about kind of origins and evolutionary thinking and stuff until just the last few years. And one thing that's really changed in how I think about that concept is that evolution isn't linear. Um, evolution is not leveling up. Evolution is, uh, I think it's more something like a universal acid in that it, uh, it's applying everywhere at all times to everything. It's not a linear thing. Um, what's super interesting about man is that we actually have opinion about um, like when we talk about our culture seems to be devolving. Evolution is happening everywhere at all times to all things, but evolution doesn't have an opinion. The same way like if an animal, uh, like for instance, there was like some nuclear event or whatever, and then there are these moths and they start, and we've seen macro, uh, not species to species, but um, in kind yeah, yeah. happen. Well, does that moth have an opinion about whether it likes being a certain color or not no it's just responding to the environment what's unique about man is that uh, we actually have a moral and ethical opinion about the world and I think this is what it means that like we're made in the image of God I think that that's what that means um, obviously none of us were there at the creation so I'm not arguing for um, a specific specific uh, argument for young earth, old earth, I'm just saying that it's a force that is acting everywhere at all times, and what's interesting about man is we have these opinions. So, like, back to your point, I would agree with you, like, I think the culture is devolving, but obviously there's other people that think it's evolving, so it's a matter of opinion, and it's kind of this image of God in us that's, that's kind of boring, and so I've thought a lot about, okay, like, what what's leading to that. And in engineering school, they, they teach you, right, to like be super technical and look for root cause of problems. And in business school, we study a lot about economics and things. And in the last few years, um, I, growing up, I had never questioned uh, the money itself. Um, and in the last few years, I've done a lot of like research and studying, obviously with everything going on in the, the crypto space, um, and started learning more about the concepts of hard money and why gold emerged as money. And what's interesting is there's an evolutionary process to how gold emerged as money. Darwinian forces, because we have these desirable qualities that we want in our money because we're trying to store energy. Um, and so when we are using a money that is honoring our desire to store that energy, then we feel like we're respected. Uh, and then when everyone is using a universal tool, it's, um, like you're talking about with symbols, like there's something actually meaningful in the symbol itself. Yeah. So what's interesting with fiat money is um, from an evolutionary standpoint, if you think of it this way, kind of like energy, like um, the moment you de you depeg and go away from a hard money standard, it's actually super beneficial in the short run because you're, you feel like you're getting something for nothing, right? Um, and so there's a lot of incentive. Uh, there's like this carrot that's just dangling, waiting to be grabbed. and 
you know, when a civilization grabs that and, and depegs, um, debases the money, what happens is in the in the near term it's like a drug. It's like an opiate or something. You get a you get a incentive, right? But then in order to get that same incentive, you have to keep um, doing more of the drug. Okay. And it's the same with the, the money. And what's interesting is humans, like you said, their symbols are everywhere and meaning is everywhere. And I had never considered before that the dollar, um, what, what's interesting is like it's actually, it is a symbol, it's a brand. And it's a brand that used to be backed by something in nature that has physical property and law that holds man accountable because it's like a like a rule that is not ruled by men it's a it's a rule that's instantiated in the cosmos that god mm. made so when we when we depeg and we break that we what we do is we break the social contract between each other and what's super interesting is when you go back and study um the rise of the nation state um and the depegging from a hard money standard you see this this bifurcation of all these stats, like divorce rates and suicide and tra transgenderism and just all these like weird things, almost like uh, you put like, you know, the water turned green and all the fish started growing five eyes and six, you know, three tails. And like, it just does a weird thing to society because at the base level of our human <laughs> communication, our social construct or contracts break. And so there's all this feeling like we can't trust each other and we, and, and such. So I, I think there's something there about that a lot of the things we see in our culture today are downstream of the tool. Like there's, there's quotes about like, um, we, we make our tools and our tools make us. Well, money is kind of like our, the best tool we've ever had, you know, good money. But this, in the same way, if, if the money is corrupt and perverse at the base level, it perverts us in response because it's like drinking poison. Every day. It's like swimming in polluted water because you never yeah. think about the the unit. You never. It's not something you really think about. So that's led me down like a lot of interesting paths. And, and to like, you know, if I can give you guys any hope for the future, like I I've actually found like pockets of real like amazing hope and optimism for the future because there's it's not a large part. So like ninety ninety nine percent of our generation doesn't actually know what hard money is because we've never seen it. Right. We never, we didn't grow up with it. No one taught us, like in public schools, they teach you Keynesian economic theory. Um, they basically teach you how fiat money works. So you're kind of indoctrinated with these fabrications about reality. Right. And so most of our generation actually doesn't, doesn't have a, like a bedrock of like civilization to build upon. And that, that's why, um, you know, for, for me, like my studies where it's led me is what I think is happening specifically in the Bitcoin software protocol what and again it's it's iterative it's something that's you know a constant thing to fight for but as long as those principles uphold um it's actually like archetypal money yeah because so gold has these properties it's uh scarce durable portable divisible and recognizable and you want those properties in your money but gold, it's almost like, even while you're talking, I was thinking about it like in Narnia where, or, or something like C.S. Lewis where he talks about like, um, you desire something because it does exist. Well, what's interesting is with money, we desire these properties and in nature, something like it exists and that is gold. And that's why if you study the history of gold, there's an evolution in mankind toward 
using gold for a reason, because it's the closest thing to those properties. What's interesting about Bitcoin is it's software, it's weightless, it's invisible. You could almost say it's spiritual um, because we have to choose it. It mm. doesn't just appear yeah. out of nothing. And what's interesting uh, as I've studied Bitcoin is it's actually, it has all those five properties, but it's archetypal money because it's all those things that gold does, but way better because it's more scarce than gold. It's more durable than gold, arguably. It is more recognizable than gold. It is more divisible than gold for sure. And it's certainly more portable than gold because you can teleport it across you know, the right. world instantly at the speed of light. So um, what's interesting is what I think you know, we'll see, this was written about in the 90s, the sovereign individual. Uh, they wrote about how in the 20th century, the nation state became very large because of the energy, because of the incentives, using violence to control the money, monopolizing violence to control the money, and then de-pegging and creating this fiat construct mm -hmm. where it's like getting something for nothing. And so you have all these zombie companies walking around that are actually benefiting. They're, it's like parasitic. Yep. Um, when you have a hard money standard, it can't happen. And so you do get honest debate because the, the rules are even. Everyone, the biggest corporations, the biggest governments, the most powerful men, the most powerful women, the, the least of these, everyone is playing by the same rule set. And it, does a it has a redemptive uh, effect on, on all society. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for. And I'm, I'm participa participating in that as much as I possibly can and trying to share that. Uh, for what it's worth, so yeah. I, I see some hope here. Like uh, listening to you guys for a while, it's like, yeah, this is like I feel all the same things you guys do. Um, there's a great book, uh, the Bitcoin Standard, that I try to recommend to people, and it it kind of iterates a lot of what I shared. And you know, people have different opinions. Obviously, like there's a million ways you could do digital internet money. You know, so those dis those discussions are endless. But I think what you know what we need to shoot for is archetypal yeah. money. And that's the, that's a spiritual <clears throat> thing. And then, and it's kind of like, I don't know, like stepping into Narnia or something. It's kind of like you, you see something in the world and you, and you, I don't know, like you, you learn from it. And then you, the spiritual thing is, I don't know, like taking it, like actually choosing it. Mm. It's a, it's a different thing. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, <clears throat> got so many thoughts about that, but I think these are what it, this is what it means that we're made in the image of God. It's, it's a blessing. So, that was awesome. Yep. <laughs> Sorry to go no, on so no, long. I wanted to listen for a while because I knew if I talked, I'd go on for. No, that that, that was yeah. awesome. <laughs> and, and I think and I think we can pull all this. Would be proud of you. <laughs> yeah, Thanks. that that was yeah. definitely very Chesterton like. Yeah. Um, so I think I think we can pull all of this together. I think I think actually all this goes right hand in hand because I think Cody, you're asking the right questions and you're pushing us to ask better questions and you're not allowed. I think that there is a, it, there's probably more, but there's at least a dichotomy of cultures going on right now. There's a, there's a culture war going on right now. And so yes, there are, there is the hopeful culture that is, that is building and, and, and permeating. And then there is the, as we call it, the, the, the devolving culture that is, that seems to be, so the, when I say culture, we should say the prevailing, the one, the one that's, that's okay. most in the media, most in social media, it doesn't mean that's the only culture that there is. And I think that needs to be, that was actually very well pushed back on. Cody is a... The public square culture. Cody, you push back like I push back. 
which aren't which aren't is questions like my yes, questions are which is questions. why I actually thought you were probably more of a disagreeable person than than not, according to Jordan Peterson's uh, dis disagreeableness. <laughs> I actually took the Big Five test recently, and I was like, uh, you weren't. Uh, I think I was like in the seventies on agreeableness. Okay. But it's it's also awesome because asking, you're asking questions. in this in this group you're you're punching. I love it. Yeah, because it's not necessarily that you're saying what you're saying is true or not true. You're just asking the question. And that's the whole point. When yeah. Wes and I have conversations, he'll bring something. I'm like, but what about this? Okay. I'm an unending pushback for Wes. Yeah, I mean, so I, I usually just ask questions because I honestly don't know. Yeah, no, <laughs> but that's because I'm like trying to play devil's advocate. But no, no, this is so good because that's we. That's why it's important. Yeah, so. I, there, there are so many people talking about the Great Awakening going on, right? Mm -hmm. Because in all of this devolving, people are, people are going, it's screw tape, right? Screw yeah. tape's like, hey, don't get them into a war. You think when people mm -hmm. see death, they're going to give away, you're going to go away from God. Mm -hmm. Actually, <laughs> they have nothing to lose at this yeah. point, and so they actually like, oh my keep, gosh. keep them away. All, keep, the, all the persecuted Christians, the, you know, the persecuted church, they all feel sorry for Americans. They're like, <clears throat> they feel sorry for us. You know, I, I've read it in so many books, and they're like, those Americans, they have, they have everything else to cling to. They don't need Jesus. And all these persecuted, this is, I love Voice of the Martyrs, because they have so many stories on stories on stories. Of, and it's the same story every time. Like, I mean, Richard Wormbrandt, he, you know, he was in jail for... 17 years. Well, 14 years, but first it was, I think, 9 or 10 years. And every year for the next two years, he's, he prayed at dinner time. Lord, if there's a prisoner who needs me, send me back to jail. And he mm -hmm. suffered and was tortured mm -hmm. nonstop. And then two years later, he goes back to jail for a few more years. And I'm like, and we're over here like, oh, poor me. <laughs> like, you know, we're so sad. It is sad. I mean, it's worthy to be, you know, I, I don't want to discount, yeah. like, the things that are happening, things that are being said about Christians in our current yeah. culture. But at the same time, we still have so much freedom. We still have, there's so much good. So I kind of like, I'm constantly in those that two kind of frames of mind. I'm like, I'm, it makes me sad to see what's happening and what people are saying. Um, some of it's justifiable. But also, like, I, I know anytime people start talking, like, Eliana loves talking about end times right now. She's obsessed with her she's, she's in Revelation right now. She's so. very much in Revelation. <laughs> and it's just like, and she's like, and this is why we're probably in the end times. I'm like, maybe people have been saying that since <laughs> I said, we can go on. I'm like, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. I said, what is, what's the only thing we're supposed to do as Christians? I mean, the main thing. And she's, this is yesterday. She's like, and she paused for a second. We're like, share the gospel. What did you say? Yeah. Go tell the that's literally what the disciples had to do. What, and I'm like, and this is all this stuff, social justice, everything, it's been a beautiful way of pulling us away from the heart of Jesus. Instead of sharing Christ, we're like, wait, equal pay, equal rights, equal this, equal that. All good things can be good things, but we've been, but we're no longer talking about Jesus. How dare you? See you later. But I'm just like, I, it's been, I, like our, and I'm sure this is, can be said for all generations, but I'm like, I say to Wes all the time, this is like so screw tape letters all the time because I'm like, we are being distracted by things that look good and sound good. And I'm, that's why I'm like, I was talking to one of my friends and she's like, was, was, I would say she's not so much anymore, a big social justice kind of warrior. And I told her recently, I'm like, oh, I hate social justice. And she's like, no, then the enemy wins. And I'm like, she's like, but I also kind of hate it too. Um, 
not because social justice is bad, but because what we we've made it like a yeah. tool. It's almost like a, a clown town social justice style of social justice, and and it's taken our eyes off of Jesus. It's all about me, 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 me. And um, like it's been a great deception of our of at least the last ten years or so. It feels like just like this. We're no longer like Christians in general. Like in general, so many of my younger Christian friends, especially, it's like. Oh, I've got to fight for this group of people. I've got to fight for this group of people, which, great, but no, they're not, they're never talking about Jesus. Yeah. I mean, unless they say, well, Jesus loved people. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah you really love people. Um, but yeah. I'm like, we have, we're no longer, I was thinking about the disciples. They're just like, our whole goal is just to go out into towns and talk about Jesus. Yeah. That's why I never get mind. Get punched in the face. When I get punched in the face, I never mind. See, I'm, I'm encouraged when I see people handing out tracks because I'm like, somebody's, sharing the gospel. I don't care which way you do it. I mean, as long as you're loving and kind. But um, I'm just like, I'd rather see the name of Jesus being spread than like, first, because I think if we, if the Great Commission is fulfilled, all this other stuff that's all jacked up, it comes into alignment. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things should be added unto you. This this is literally my conversation pretty much every other day. (laughs) During your coffee time. Yeah, this is, this is our, yeah, this is what we, um, um, Go ahead. You're, you're talking about Eliana and obsessing about end times. <laughs> Jim Bobabin, our pastor, the ethics professor at the seminary, he said when he first when he first became a Christian when he was in college at Oberlin of all places. Where? <laughs> Oberlin. Where's that? In Ohio. Okay. It's very left now. Okay. Very, 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 very okay. left now. <laughs> and he's <laughs> he's not. Okay. He's not. But um. He realized, you know, that um, all this work, you know, this was during the 70s, the Jesus people mm, movement yeah. and all this sort of stuff, and then all the all the end times prophecies that were coming mm. on and all that big deal. And he said, he, finally, he just repeated it again this past Sunday. He finally came to the realization that either the world's going to end or 70, 80 years from now, I'm going to be dead. Either way, the result's going to be the same. Yep. Either I've accepted Christ, and I know what my relationship is, or... That's what we tell our kids. I'm like, it doesn't... Yeah, there's value in study and all that, but at the end of the day, it's still the Great Commission. Yeah. It's still the Great Commission. That's all there is. If we're not doing that, then we have been hugely tricked into something else, which most of us have. Um, That's what I see more than anything in cultures. Like all these things that sound good, they're you know they're masked in this wonderful. But these are all the qualities of Jesus. These are all the qualities of His kingdom, Mm. and yet we His name is never mentioned. I mean, even the Pope took the cross down because he didn't want to offend people recently and I'm like where what has happened what has happened um I, the offense offensiveness and when Jesus literally is like the world will hate you because of me I don't know I think about this this is the stuff I think I'm a total of animals to work, so I'm like she, she is no. <laughs> yeah revelation is super interesting like yeah. I grew up with uh like the Left Behind series, obviously. Oh, I like, love the Left Behind series. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Oh, yeah, of course. Like, real, which, it. It, as a kid, it's, I don't know, like, kind of talk to my parents, like, hey, guys, like, that, I don't know, like a seven or eight-year-old, like, hey, you're not going to have a future because <laughs> one day, poof, we're all going to, yeah, yeah like, you're never getting married, you know, all this stuff. And, like, because so, I grew up with, like, imminent rapture theology and all oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, same here. And, like, I, I mean, again, I mean, I'm not, like, a theologian, I'm not, like, a Bible scholar, but, you know, as a young man, I'm, I've kind of 
I've started to think differently about this topic because, like, um, from what I understand, I mean, correct me with languages, but from what I understand, like, the apocalypse or whatever, it kind of means, like, to lift the veil, right? Or something like that? Yeah. So, like, we we interpret it sometimes when we're in the, when we're in the midst of the apocalypse, um, it's easy to interpret it as the end of all things. Like, that everything will melt away and, you know, mm-hmm. it's all happening exactly the way that the symbology in the scripture reads. Um, and I'm not, like, discounting that. I don't disparage anyone who holds that view. Um, but personally, like, I'm, I've kind of changed my mind on it. And uh, I see it as um, symbols and kind of like a lifting of the veil. So um, almost like, you know, there's the book, uh, the, the, fourth, the Fourth Turning. I would imagine at, at that fourth turning, it always, and some of them are worse than others perhaps, but it feels like apocalyptic because the legacy institutions, legacy mm-hmm. world is dying. It's not, a, it's not a fabrication. Like it really is. It's, it's like a forest fires. It's like institutions are mortal. Yeah. We're immortal. Right. Yes, exactly. So for me, like, I'm like super hopeful and blessed because like walking with the Lord, it's like, well, I, I know that the scripture, like these are meta truths. Mm-hmm. So like, when I look at the Bible now, I'm, I'm reading it very differently than I yeah. did as a young man. Because as a young man, I didn't understand that maybe there's a... So like, the number one, for instance, it's a, it's a number. There's a meta-truth to the number one. But the symbol we all use for the number one is arbitrary. It's a fiction. It's an allegory. Yeah, like God I mean, didn't command analogy, this. Analogy is analogy. Yeah, but it's actually <clears throat> it's a symbol that's even rooted in fact. And yeah. we actually, from my understanding, like we have the Muslims, I think, to thank for the the how our numbers appear, because the number one, right? It's like one acute angle. Two, the number two is two acute angles. The number three is three acute angles. So on, all the way up to nine or what have you. New There's like, yeah, it's super interesting. So, and we don't we take a lot of the symbols like for granted. And I'm not saying the Bible is only symbols, but what I'm saying is, um, the Bible is something that is always true in all times and all places, it's communicating a meta truth. And so I guess I'm like super hopeful because I'm seeing that, well, okay, like, yeah, okay, my parents weren't raising me totally wrong. Like we are living through an apocalypse. Like it feels like that because it is that. Um, but you have to get through that turning and it has to actually like run its course. I think oh, I yeah. think en- energy is actually fundamental to this because well, you, you the energy has, in the old system, yeah, the, there's like actual energy. Like literal energy in the old system, in the legacy paradigm. And that energy actually, some, there has to be kind of this pressure. It builds, it builds, it builds. Um, and there is something, it, it's kind of like it's looking for a release. And this is what lead all that pressure leads to the little spark of ingenuity or what have you. Something, something breaks, there's a war, you know, or something like Bitcoin, whatever it is. <laughs> something pricks the balloon and poof and like then you start getting this draw into the new system and it, it sounds like new agey but i don't think it is like i think new ageism has like co-opted something i oh, think there's something the, about energy in it that's taken, real yes yeah like and it's it's weird how much my thinking's changed in the last few years i've, I've prayed a lot about it and talked with my family because i'm like hey i don't want to like get going astray here but guys like I don't believe, <laughs> I'm a Christian, but I don't like believe these things in the same way I believed them, even a few years ago. It's changed yeah. a lot. 
Um, so, anyways. But yeah, the apocalypse is super interesting to think about. Like, mm-hmm. what does that even mean? Let's just read. Oh, we can read Left Behind series. Yeah. Before, <laughs> yeah. Before, yeah. before turning was actually what I was thinking about as I was talking. Yeah. So I, I didn't, I don't know who had, who had read that or what. But, yeah. Um, yeah, like the, with the, those fourth turnings, like you go through devolution. Yeah. Like there's, because right, good necessary. times, good times make, or good men make good times, good times make weak men, weak, weak men. men make bad times, bad times make good men. Those yeah. are the turnings, more or less. That's, so, anyway, <laughs> last battle. When Aslan turns loose the dragons and the beasts and the insects uh-huh. and they're destroying the world and then Father Time reaches up and he puts out the sun. Huh. And then they're in Riomardia at that point. Huh. That's what I see as the lifting of the veil is the Shadowlands dissipates because it's entropy. The mm-hmm. energy, the energy of, of the physical universe is done away with because it's no longer necessary. And Father Time reaches up and blots out the sun, and it's pitch black. They close the door, and real Narnia is what exists. That's that's the end of it. Let's new heavens, that's a new earth. And we'll run up waterfalls. We'll run up water. We'll do all those cool <laughs> things. And so that's kind of what I see. And wow. so I, either one, it's a fourth turning, and we're gonna we're gonna do this all over yeah. again next eighty years, like you said, or yeah, right. That's what I wonder is is that <clears throat> a cycle? And and this is what I wonder with the seeing the scripture as meta truth because the scripture does indicate, as far as I can tell, that that. Those those cycles end at some point, and there really is an eternal yes. state that is final, and it's not like we keep going through these. And so I don't know. That's all mis- as much mystery to me as it is anyone. But I do wonder, like, okay, is this the final apocalypse before the yeah. real thing? Yeah. Or yes. how many cycles do we go through till we get there? And no, um, I, yeah. how many lives do we live? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. It's like yeah, it's yeah. Anyway. I think it will go on. God has everybody he wants, but he wants everybody, and he has infinite patience. It's just, yeah. He wanted that loving relationship where we could love back, and so he gave us the free will to choose. Yeah. And people, unfortunately, do not always choose him. The enemy always gets what he wants, and what I mean is like, so you mentioned, you have this, you sow these seeds, you have this energy, you have this devolution. It has to come to fruition. Yep. And the enemy's always like, yeah, we're going to get this thing. We're going to do this. <clears throat> they always get what they want, but it's never what they thought they wanted. And so yeah. there's going to be this, these institutions will fall and break because they're mortal. Yeah. And the new, institution, new institutions will, like a phoenix, will rise up. Yeah. And they'll be yeah. flourishing for a while. And then there'll be doubt sown and there'll be right. those things. And it'll go right back in this. Yeah, it's like the nature of it. Yeah, because they get comfortable. It's like there's this um, ease that comes with it. I just didn't think I'd see it in my life, and I think that's what's so disappointing is is I I didn't think I would see things crash around as quickly as they have, and I was like, ooh, this is. Well, to us, it seems quick. It seems quick yeah. to us. Yeah. What's so interesting is uh, those four turnings they as mapped out in that book. I haven't actually had the time to read it yet, but my understanding is like those turnings are like something like twenty or. 30 years or something. Yeah, longer. yeah. What's so interesting is like the average age of a human, right? Something like 80 years. Well, 80 divided by 4. What's interesting is as a human, like your lifespan is actually like living through all four turnings. It's just a question of which one are you born in. I mean, on yeah, the average. Where do you start? Yeah, yeah. I feel like we start at the beginning. <laughs> feels like yeah, yeah so yeah, we're, we're the yeah. teaching generation the teaching next generation of heroes that's, yeah. that's kind of what it's yeah yeah right yeah um, alright guys further up Great.